reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. If ye continue in the faith, grounded and settled, be not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which ye have heard and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister. In our study of the book of Colossians, we began a number of weeks ago considering the incomparable Christ, how there is none other to compare him to. Uh, we cannot lift up Christ and compare and say, here are the great attributes of one and here are the attributes of the other. He truly is incomparable. Uh, Christ is our all and all. Christ is our hope. Christ, as Paul later says, is the hope of glory if Christ be in you. But you'll notice here in verse 21, as we've continued, Paul makes mention of what these uh, Colossians once were. And it is fitting today because we were all as these Colossians were. He says, you were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works. And then there's that glorious word, yet. Yet now hath he reconciled. Imagine what Paul was saying with me to rich a moment, how this must have been received by the Colossians. Alienated, enemies, yet now reconciled. Enemies, aliens made right with a holy, perfect, just God for no reason in themselves. That is the beauty and that is the hope that is in Christ. You see, Christ is our hope. Christ is not only our hope of glory, He is our hope of grace, and He is the hope of the gospel. Paul uses the word hope. What a lovely word the word hope is. It's a word that by today's populations by today's standards hope is just a great desire that things work out and that's not the kind of hope that Paul's talking about Paul is talking about a sure a steadfast a sure abiding everlasting hope he uses the word hope in verse 23 he later uses it in verse 27 to exhort and comfort Colossian believers and all believers who are standing in Christ Jesus today. Now we studied in depth over the last couple weeks about reconciliation and what that means and how reconciliation was done and how that it was Christ through the blood of His cross, we learned in verse 20, that He is the one that reconciled. Uh, it is not God that needed to be reconciled to us. It was sinners like you and I who needed to be reconciled to God. But what Paul had said about reconciliation in general in, in verse number 20. Now he applies this to the Colossians and he says, and you. Two very important words. They seem like just connecting words, but verse 21, and you. And I say the same thing to us this morning. And you. Well, not me. No, you. Every last one of you, including this preacher, 
was alienated. Enemies by wicked works. Whose wicked works? Christ's wicked works? No. Our wicked works. Yet. Are there three more powerful words? And you? Yet. You! (laughs) Yet he reconciled to himself. What a beautiful expression that Paul uses here. We need to embrace these, not just the Colossians, but we need to embrace these personally if we are in Christ today. We are strangers and enemies in our minds. Paul writes similarly in Romans chapter 8. Workers of iniquity. However, we saw last week in the body of Christ's flesh by His perfect obedience and by the merits and righteousness of His blood, He has so reconciled us to God in totality that the result is, verse 22, presented holy, unblameable, and unreprovable in His sight. He has so reconciled us and freed us from sin and presents us perfect in holiness without a single charge against us. Not one charge. In the past seven days, I've committed enough sin to be guilty all over again. I've had enough sinful thoughts in one week that if God would base it upon whether or not I lived in perfect obedience, I would never be able to keep it. I've lost it over and over and over again. But it doesn't say that I reconciled. It says He reconciled. He did the work. He finished it. It is a finished work. The work is done. Just as by way of an introduction to it next week in verse 23, He does say, if you continue in the faith, and we're going to spend a lot of time next week dealing with that little word, if. Again, it seems insignificant. How could we spend time on the word if? Because it is the very foundation of everything going forward. But notice he says, if you continue in the faith and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel. All of these provisions, all of these promises call us to persevere in the faith. One of the dear doctrines that we believe in, the perseverance of the saints. We proclaim it boldly. We don't back down away from it, we boldly say that's what Scripture teaches and that's what Paul's talking about. The perseverance of the saints, not that might be, but that will be. His saints will persevere. I love what it says in Hebrews 3 verse 14, for we are made, notice that, we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. You see, we don't have a hope that's just for the beginning. We don't have a hope that's just for the in-between. We have a hope for all of eternity. There are many people in our world today that are placing their hope in something, and temporarily, hope may appear to be winning the day. But you realize anything less than an eternal hope in Jesus Christ is a wasted hope. Yet Christ is our hope So beginning here in these passages, especially there in verse 21, Paul is exhorting the Colossians and all believers to not allow themselves by any means to be moved away from the hope of the doctrine of God's gospel and God's grace. Because there is no one else. There is nowhere else we can turn to 
He is the gospel. He is our hope. Of course, the Apostle Paul speaks about the hope of grace here in verses 21 and 22. You know, of course, no, Paul wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Paul, probably greater than any other, holds forth Christ in all of his writings. I, I'm not sure anyone uh, holds that incomparable Christ higher than Paul. He's continually turning people to look to Christ. Don't look at me. Look at Christ. Look at Christ. Look at Christ. Rely on Christ. Depend on Christ. Don't depend on me. Don't look at me. Look at Christ. He's incomparable. Don't look anywhere else. Look to Christ. He proceeds to show how God's grace and its effects on the recipients of that grace. The church of God. Oh, a statement, an organization, sadly, that is not always what it was intended to be. The church of the living God. Paul, when he wrote to Timothy, the pillar and the ground of the truth. The church. Not random people. The church, the elect. Those that were given before the foundation of the world. The true church are those who are in Christ Jesus. To be outside of Christ is to be outside of the church. To be outside of the church is to be outside of the body of Christ. But to be in Christ is to be the church. And Paul writes to the church. And he shows and reminds them again of the gracious work of Christ in their life. We are all aliens we are all enemies we are all of the nature of adam when he fell all mankind fell we are in the same depraved situation as if we had committed the sin ourselves man is conceived in sin man is born in sin even if we never committed a single sin on our own we are guilty by adam's fall so those that say today, I'm not a sinner. You're a sinner by Adam. The original sin. And yet, here we have God before the foundation of the world not reacting as if He didn't know what Adam was going to do. But yet, before the foundation of the world in this beautiful covenant transaction between the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, there were, would be a group called out unto himself the very consequences of our salvation today are the direct result of the electing love of the father so many years some of you have this same testimony i ran as quickly as i could away from the doctrine of election and how i'm missing the beauty the beauty of what it means and the beauty of the father's electing love Love before the foundation of the world and then seeing the picture of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son, and His victorious, redeeming grace. And it's only till you realize that you were alienated and you were an enemy that every work you did was wicked. Every work you did was not good. Yet, now, not in the future, we're not waiting for something. He has already reconciled us. Right now, we're reconciled. We are reconciled and every member of the true church is made aware of their own wicked works. 
I am fully aware of the sins of commission and the sins of omission that I still each and every day commit. But yet I'm at the same time reminded about I have been reconciled in Christ. Never to be used as a license to continue in sin. Paul would say, and every preacher of the gospel would say, God forbid that that would be the case, that you would ever use the grace of God as a license to continue in sin. Never, ever, ever would that be my thought if I'm truly in Christ. Yet I know in my flesh there dwells no good thing. I know that I'm going to battle this sin nature. I'm going to battle against, I'm going to have to wage war against it. But I know that I have been reconciled when the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit of God opened my eyes, unstopped my ears, made me willing to believe. And now I've been reconciled into the body of Christ. As we've been studying even on Wednesday evenings, brought from darkness into marvelous light. And that light is marvelous, brethren. That light is light like nothing else. We are freed from the power of sin in our life. Not that we'll ever be sinless, but sin does not have dominion over you any longer. We are free from the power of Satan. And we are to serve and live unto the living God. Just again, look at the beautiful harmony here between the work of grace. It's not just an act of the Father, an act of the Son, or an act of the Spirit. There is a harmony in this. Sadly, so many miss this. They say things like, and again, I understand what they mean, but I think they can misinterpret, all you need is Jesus. And yes, we do need Jesus, but in the redeeming work of a sinner, it takes the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Yes, we believe in a trinity, unapologetically a trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, each glorious person cooperating in this purpose and plan of God. Again, it's hard for us to get beyond the choosing choosing part, isn't it? God the Father chose the church in Christ. He chose it. He chose who would be the recipients of this. But He didn't just say, I'm choosing that they may live however they want. He chose that this church in Christ would be holy and without blame before Him in love. And this occurred before the foundation of the world. Paul writing to the church at Ephesus in a similar manner that he did the Colossians. If you study those two books, you realize that Ephesians and Colossians are very similar on a lot of different levels. But here's what he says in Ephesians 1.4. According as He hath chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. Paul doesn't write according as you you have chosen him for yourself. No, he has chosen you for himself. God the Father, before the foundation of the world, in his electing love, sends forth God the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to undertake on behalf of all that the Father had given him. He accomplished the purpose. In mercy, He goes 
to a Roman cross. In mercy and in love, He stretches out His hands. He's crucified, nailed between two thieves. The Bible says malefactors. We're going to talk about in the 11.30 hour. To redeem them from their sin and the ruins of the fall of Adam. And He doesn't just do that so that He might say, I have a group that I call my own. No, Paul writing in Galatians 1.4 says about Christ who gave Himself for our sins. This was not an act for Jesus just to simply get accolades. He gave Himself for our sins. Not His own sins. Ours. Yours. Mine. Let me just ask you, do you even own your own sin today? Do you own it? God, I know I'm a sinner. And I'm not even just talking about in your regeneration. I'm talking about do you own the fact today you're a sinner who's been reconciled in Christ? Repentance is not a one-time action. It is a daily occurrence. A moment-by-moment occurrence. Someone that says, I don't have anything to repent about this hour. I beg to differ with you. Something has happened in our minds that has even a wicked thought runs across our mind and we ask ourselves, where did that come from? And if you're anything like me, those sins, simple thoughts come at the most inappropriate times. While sitting listening to the Word of God being preached, a sinful thought enters the heart. Jesus said it's not the things on the outside that defiles a man, it's the heart. Your own heart Your own heart is deceiving you. Your own heart is bringing forth things of unbelief. Even as we've learned during our prayer meetings, Asaph had to come to a place where he realized the reason for what was going on in his life. The struggles and the difficulty in Psalm 77 he was dealing with was his own unbelief. The seed of unbelief had taken root. And he was a believing man. And yet we see this beautiful harmony that Christ gave Himself for our sins and it goes on in Galatians that He might deliver us from this present evil world. So many people are living today as if I can't wait until I'm delivered from the wickedness and the awfulness of this world. In Christ, you've already been delivered from this world. You say, how can that be? I still have to live in it. Because your hope is not in this world. Your hope is not in the news headlines. Your hope is in Christ. Your hope is in Christ alone. And if that wasn't already good enough, Paul says that this is all done according to the will of God and our Father. Imagine your salvation being part of the will of God. And that's exactly what it is. Not your will, not my will, but God's will. Certainly, my will for mankind would be what? That all men would come to repentance. That's my heart's desire. My heart's desire is that all will come to know Christ. All will repent of their sins. But I do know this, that all that the the Father has appointed, not might come, will come. I do take the position that I believe there are going to be millions and millions of people who are the chosen. So many people say, what, that's such a narrow-minded gospel. Grace is so narrow-minded. I tend to look at the gospel's been going forth for thousands and thousands of years and look how it has spread throughout the world. 
You say, but are you looking at the world and are you seeing how dark places are? Are you seeing how dark the United States is? Are you seeing how dark the UK is now? Are you seeing what used to be the very seedbed of these things? What is happening? Christ is still gathering unto himself all that the Father has given. Brethren, do not lose heart. Do not lose hope. Continue to stand faithful. No matter how dark this world is, the Word of God is accomplishing exactly what God the Father has said it's going to accomplish. Stop taking your hope and your peace from what the world wants you to see. That will do nothing but aggravate that old, wicked, sinful nature in you. Think upon Christ. And then the Holy Ghost, third person of the Trinity. We saw the Father's electing love. We see Christ accomplishing this redeeming grace on the cross. God the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost. By the regenerating work, He has quickened us made us alive. A dead man has never, ever raised himself from the grave. The true church is a quickened church. It is a church that has been regenerated by the Holy Spirit of God. When did He regenerate us? When we were dead in our trespasses and sins. We weren't regenerated after we decided to seek after Jesus. No, we were regenerated when we were dead. It's like a dead man getting up out of a coffin. Nothing that he did was of himself. Raised to a new, and Paul uses the terms, a new creation, a new spiritual life in Christ Jesus. Now again, you notice verse 22, it says, "...in the body of His flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in His sight." Some people take the full position that this is all future. And there is, to some extent, some future tense to this. But this is now, by the merits of Christ, when God the Father looks upon you, He sees the holiness and the un unblameable and unreprovableness of Christ. So many say, I can't wait to be removed from this present evil world and I can't wait to be presented holy, unblameable, and unreprovable. Brethren, do you realize that if you're in Christ Jesus today, you are already unblameable and unreprovable, not because of your goodness, but because of the merits of Christ Jesus, this wonderful, marvelous Savior. So we see the church presented holy, unblameable, unreprovable. The purposes of God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit are accomplished and being accomplished. For man's glory, no. For the Redeemer's glory. There is nothing that makes the church of Christ more content, more satisfied, and let's just use it even more happy than to know that they are reconciled in Christ Jesus. Churches are trying to find all sorts of reasons to be relevant. All sorts of reasons to make Christ more appealing. To the true believer, I don't have to add anything to his appeal. I don't have to give you a gimmick. I don't have to entertain you. I don't have to say, look, we just got to make more Christ more hip, more relevant. No, I just point to the incomparable Christ and say, show me anything better than he. 
Friends, you can search high and low and you're never going to find it. The church presented holy, unblameable, unreprovable, all according to the plan and the purposes of God, not as a reaction to what man would do, not as a reaction to man seeking God, but rather God seeking man. All that are in Christ are to the praise of the glory of His grace, Paul says. Paul says in Ephesians, wherein He hath made us accepted in the Beloved. Oh, Wednesday night, we had a sweet time here. We were talking about brethren and brotherly love and what it means to be in Christ. And that's another beautiful word for the church, beloved. Oh, it sounds so archaic. Do people really talk that way anymore? They don't call each other brothers and brethren and beloved. We ought to. Because these are words of unity. You have the so-called church today saying we need unity. And they say things like this. We need unity on the essentials. It's all essential. And yet we have this beautiful picture that He has made us accepted in the Beloved. We didn't make ourselves beloved. You didn't clean yourself up and then say, okay, now can I come in? Paul writes in Ephesians 1.13 about the work of the Holy Spirit, what He did, in whom ye also trusted after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, listen to this, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. Did you catch that? With that Holy Spirit. You were sealed with the Holy Spirit Himself. See, every member of the body of Christ has the Spirit indwelling them. He goes on and says, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. You're a purchased possession today if you're in Christ. Notice those two words. You were bought and you're owned. Oh, our rebellious society says, number one, nobody's owning me. People that are in Christ are not ashamed to acknowledge that God owns them. We're not ashamed to say that we are servants unto the Lord. Under the praise of His glory. What a beautiful expression. Under the praise of His glory. I just want to introduce verse 23. We're not going to get very far with this, but I want you to see that verses 21 and 22 show us that Christ is the hope of grace. And Paul very clearly establishes that Christ is the hope of the gospel. Verse 23, if ye continue in the faith grounded and settled, be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which ye have heard and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister." Paul establishing these great truths comes next and again speaks directly not just to the Colossian believers, but to every child of God and their continuance in this faith. He uses words like grounded, settled, and not moved. Think about those pictures. 
I could give you some human illustrations that would fail miserably, so I'm not even going to do it. But think about the faith and the, the grounding and the settled and not being moved from the hope of the gospel. Paul begins the verse with an if. If you continue in the faith. Now we're going to expound this more next week. But this if is not in any way, shape, or form a condition as if to say God's grace depends on the will of man. See, right here we have a tendency to immediately jump back into, all right, he reconciled me, I was dead, but now I've got to do the rest. It's this picture of God's done his part, now I've got to do the rest. Make no mistake about it, there is a change that will take place. You will not be the same person that you were before. Your life will be different. You will live differently. But imagine if that if was conditional, was conditioned upon what man did. Wouldn't you be concerned this morning? If your entire eternity hinged on the if of you, wouldn't that displace your hope from Christ back to you? That's not what Paul is saying. Paul is not saying, okay, all these things are true if you do this. No. This is that perseverance of the saints. This is when a person has truly been converted. They are going to continue in the faith. John writes about it. They went out from us because they were not one of us. And again, don't just use that on a local church level. He's talking about those who proclaimed, but they didn't continue in the faith. Brethren, there are churches, and it could happen to us, filled with people who are not truly one of us. Again, that's not said arrogantly. One of us means those that are truly in Christ Jesus. This church here is no better than any other church that's proclaiming the true gospel of Jesus Christ. We don't have the corner market on the only truth here. But we do have hold of the truth. But it's not the only place you're going to find it. And it's not the only congregation. It's one of the beauties of, of being in Christ is we can go thousands of miles away from here and we could sit under the pulpit ministry of another faithful pastor and elder and say, Amen, it's the same thing that I hear when I'm at my church. And I don't, I, I, I'm not even, I've never been here. How can I go thousands of miles across the ocean? And here a faithful man who's been standing there for 50 years proclaiming the same message, and it's the same message I hear every single week. It would be a sad concern today if the promises of God were based upon the if. If we do this. If this is all dependent upon now, what do I do with Christ who is my hope? If the if is conditional upon me, it makes Christ even a doubted thing. It makes Christ not sure. It makes Him not steadfast. And it would reduce our entire hope. And none of us want this. And sadly, this gospel is being preached. It turns it into a maybe gospel. Maybe you'll make it at the end. Maybe. It's sad to hear. It's sad to believe and to know 
There are people that will leave buildings similar to this one, various sizes, various congregations, who will walk out saying, this depends upon now what I do. You're in bondage. You're enslaved to the will of yourself and your hope is in you and that will make you most miserable. But if my hope is truly in Christ who has reconciled me and I believe the promises of God, again, the promises of God are true whether I believe them or not. We don't believe a maybe gospel. We don't believe a maybe grace. We believe in the glory I love what Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.13. He uses a word, if. If we believe not, yet he abideth faithful, he cannot deny himself. What a beautiful expression. If we will just simply attend, even as in this coming week, just consider some of these thoughts. It's going to help put into clear view what Paul has in mind. I want to challenge you to do that. That's as far as I'm going to go with this today. I want to challenge you to dig into the word. Study that verse. We're going we're to spend our entire time next week just looking at verse 23. And all of the implications of that if. But friends, I want you to be encouraged this morning. If you're in the church, if you're in Christ Jesus, I want you to be reminded again of the great hope that you have in Christ. I want you to be reminded that God cannot fail. God is immutable. He will not remove His promises. He will not forget to be gracious. He will not slam the door of His compassion and His mercy. If you are in Christ Jesus, you are forever in Christ Jesus. Not because you reconciled yourself to God, but He reconciled Himself. He reconciled you to Him. Not by man's works, but by His work. So we take great joy in knowing that one day, under the praise of His glory, Jesus Christ will come again for His church. And what a glorious day that is. But we're not to live as just looking for the future and saying, I can't wait until everything is just made right. We're to live to the praise of His glory now, even as the world grows darker, knowing that the hope is the gospel is going forth. And it is saving people. I am encouraged today, somewhere in this world, it may not be in this building today, somebody's eyes are opened. I believe every day, I believe every moment, there's someone being converted. Oh, we're not seeing it where we are. It doesn't mean it's not happening. And it doesn't mean, because you can't see what's going on underneath the surface. You can't see the Spirit. You can't even, you don't know where He's coming and where He's going. But those of you that are in Christ know that when He regenerated you and opened your eyes, you saw what you didn't see before. And it's all to the praise and the glory of Christ. What a Savior. Christ is our hope. Let's pray together.